0: Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. up our series, What God Wants to Do for You, where we've been looking at the names of God that reveal His character, who He is, and discover that His character, His names meet the deepest needs of our life. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, everybody. My name is Ryland. Thanks for joining us. Uh, They say that uh, I should introduce myself from time to time, so here's my family Thanksgiving picture. That's my wife, Lauren, my two sons, Landry and Sterling. And uh, I considered preaching in my pumpkin pie hat and shirt this weekend. More than you want to know, but uh, there's always next year, right? And uh, I look forward to that. Uh, Last weekend, we did our Thanksgiving message uh, where we said, we're not just going to be thankful, we're not just going to say we're thankful, we're not just going to read about thankfulness in Scripture, but we're going to express our thanksgiving. That's what. I hope makes Rockbrook unique is we're not going to just talk about the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, say the Word of God. We're going to do the Word of God. And uh, one of the ways that we are expressing our thanksgiving is through giving. And last weekend, I announced our celebration offering, which is our year-end Thanksgiving Christmas offering uh, going to uh, uh, support our ministry partners, fund a medical care adoption grant, and further the mission of Rockbrook Church And if you uh, get out your, click the podcast app on your phone or Spotify or Google Play or the Rockbrook app or the Rockbrook website, you could hear uh, that whole message and uh, you could hear the part in there where I talk about that more of what's going on. We're partnering with an organization, adoption organization called Show Hope for the Medical Care Adoption Grant. You want to hear a cool story about that? uh, I've been playing phone tag with this guy named Charlie at Show Hope and um, I left him a message saying, hey, we're wanting to support one of these medical care uh, uh, fundraising um, adoption grants. And I get a call back. He in, went into a meeting. We hadn't spoken yet. He goes into a meeting on Monday. And they, there's a staff meeting. They're saying, we're having to turn down so many uh, medical care grants uh, right now. And they say, Charlie, we need you to get funding up in this fund. And he leaves goes and sits down at his desk and goes, well, how in the world am I going to do that? He says, I don't even know where to start. And he checks his voicemails, and he has a voicemail from Rockbrook Church that says, hey, we would like to give to the Medical Care Adoption Fund. Isn't that cool, everybody? Come on. If that doesn't bring a smile to your face, that's just so awesome. Uh, some of the... Que- if that didn't bring a smile to your face, uh, you are not going to like the rest of the message, by the way. But uh, some of the questions... Uh, that uh, I received, or you may have received, I just wanted to, or that you may may have, I just wanted to go through quickly of the celebration offering. Uh, Someone asked, well, what's the goal amount for this offering? We do not have a set goal amount. Uh, What we do have is a participation goal. And our goal, our hope is that 100% of our church would participate. Everyone can give something to this. Don't think that a little wouldn't matter or wouldn't make a difference? Don't think that a lot wouldn't make a difference or wouldn't matter either. Uh, When should I give to the celebration offering? Anytime between now and the end of the year, the window is open. You could do it all at once. You also remember that consistent gifts over time add up, so you might want to bring something for that or give to that however you give um, each week, you know, over the next five weeks or Another question is, how is this different than my regular giving? Our regular giving is proportional, consistent, usually a percentage of our income that we give to God uh, first. Out of all the bills and all the things out of all the life, uh, we give to Him first. The celebration offering is one of those opportunities like God would call people to a season of sacrificial giving. It's just an opportunity to stretch our faith And in a season of gift giving, we're not going to leave God out. We're going to include him. I believe Christians have the spirit of generosity in them. Um, It's really why at Rockbrook, we don't talk about, like people say churches talk about money all the time. We've preached on money two times this year. We don't talk. In fact, our consistent message is if you don't call Rockbrook home, like don't give um, because we're not all about money, but we do believe money is spiritual and Um, those messages even that we brought were how to to manage it in your life because money, it's a difficult part of life. In fact, I've titled today's message, Weathering a Financial Storm. I read this week that Americans' overall satisfaction with their financial condition now stands at a 12-month low. According to J.D. Power data, while those who classify themselves as financially unhealthy is as high as 64%. Seventy-seven percent of people have significant fear related to finances. And I wanted to begin today in a parable that Jesus told that includes money. I want to be very clear here. The point of the parable is not money. Money is illustrating a larger truth and a bigger thing, uh, illustrating a bigger truth about the character of God and our condition in sin, Um, but the made-up parable that talks about money, those truths still hold merit. So the money piece of it is still true and still a reality. And it comes in Luke 15 where Jesus is telling kind of three like-minded parables. One is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One of the sheep uh, gets lost And cannot find its way back home. And the shepherd leaves the 99 found sheep to go find the lost sheep and bring it back home. The second parable is about a woman who loses a very valuable coin. She has 10 of them. But what does she do? She turns the house upside down, even though she has nine found, to find one that is lost. So far at the end of both of those parables, the point of them is that God celebrates and throws a party when lost things are found. They're kind of party parables and that's where it ends up in each one. Then it gets to a third one where something is not lost, someone actually leaves. Like they didn't lose their way, they rebelled and they they run away and they run off. And a parable is just a made up story to illustrate a spiritual truth But the the illustrative points about money are still true, and they show us how we end up in our our situation. So beginning in verse 11, Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And basically, this was just the ultimate disrespect, disgrace. It was the son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead now. And so the father gives him what he asks for. And God will let you go on your own way, even if it's not the right way. And God will let us have what we want at times, even if it's not the right thing. And he'll say, you can try it on your own, but you'll be back. Because Jesus alone has the words of life. And so the father did it. He divided up the property between them. And it reveals the first thing that happens in our sin and impacting our finances. The first thing that happens in our condition, if you're taking notes you might write this in, is we are consumed with having more. I don't want just some, I want more. And it can consume us. I want one cup of coffee and then I want more. I want one Dr. Pepper and then I want more. I want a good return on my investment and then I want more and I want more. And verse 13 says, not long after that, not long after he was given his share of the estate, the younger son got together all he had. So that didn't make him happy. That didn't solve anything. He had to go off and he set off for a distant country. And it's the next point is that we want everything now, if you're taking notes. And our world fuels this desire. Credit gives us the thing now. I was shopping for furniture um, the other day, I was in a furniture store and was just struck with how difficult it is in that store I was in to find the price of the piece of furniture. Have you noticed this? Because what they list is the monthly payment for the furniture and you've gotta look or even ask someone for what if I just wanna buy this piece of furniture? But the mindset is, well that shouldn't hinder you, just you could have it now. Why do layaway when you can have it now? Even the smallest things, items, in the last few years, there are companies now that you can finance anything. Like I saw the other day, you could do seven payments of $3.80 on a t-shirt. And I'm like, well, by time I pay that off, the kid's gonna have spit up on it, and it's gonna be done and everything ruled. and they don't, when you see that, they don't show you the interest, they don't show you the penalty, they don't show you what you pay if you mess up and don't pay. But we want it all now. And we don't want to wait 10 years to build up to the car we want. The house that took someone 20 years to get, we want it now. I had someone uh, who, a, a young couple who asked for my help. I don't just give financial advice unsolicited. They asked for my opinion, my help on their house and getting their house and everything. I told them what Lauren and I did, and what they could do. And they, but they said, yeah, but it's got to look good in pictures. And I'm like, well, you can put a tablecloth on a card table. And I said, here's what you do. Take one corner of the house, get the pillows, paint it just right, decorate. Take all your pictures in that corner. It's the photo booth of the house. Amen, somebody. And do it right there. And God is not against having nice things. And God is not against nice houses. But we can get consumed with it to where we'll we get out of the covering. That's, we'll get to that in a moment. But what we see is... Uh, that there, when he goes off in distant land, he squandered his wealth in wild living. And a uh, squandering. I know this is not you, but Americans spend a quarter of a trillion dollars. I think they ought to pause on TV when they say big numbers. Because we throw them around like, but just let that sit. And a quarter of a trillion dollars on gambling alone. And maybe that's not you, but we don't have to look far for squandered money. And what's the point here is that when we're stressed and when we do the wrong thing with finances, we engage in self-destructive behavior. And I don't know what that is for you. I know uh, my finances get out of control when we eat out too much, and it's so much fun and it's so much easier, but I can take the same money and buy three or four meals and groceries through that. But verse 14, after he spent everything, and this is just in the human heart, and another point of stress in our finances is when we simply, when we spend everything we have. And then we're living up to the limit, and then debt becomes uh, the only option. Uh, Forbes is saying that right now, the average credit card has nearly $9,000, and the average household has three of them. It's the fastest rise in 20 years, and people paid stuff off uh, during the pandemic, uh, but now it's come back in some ways uh, harder than ever, faster than ever. I know that's not you, uh, but you can share it with the people that you know, right? Um, Then it says, finally, and wouldn't you know it, he'd spent everything he had, and then a bad day came, and it didn't come on the day that he had money and could handle it. it, happened on the bad day. And there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And we get stressed out financially when we are unprepared, you might write that in, for storms. Storms happen, bad days happen. Uh, fa- in this case, it's a famine. Uh, we're calling what we're in a storm. Uh, the Bible says that there's famine on the righteous and unrighteous. It rains on the, the righteous and the unrighteous that will have stormy days, that will have tough days. In verse 15, so he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything Maybe you've been in a situation or a circumstance like that. And what we see God does is he'll send a storm, a storm to soften the soil of the heart. So one thing you need to know about God is that he'll use storms. In fact, uh, the two storms that we see the disciples end up in, uh, one of them is where Jesus is asleep in the boat and he wakes up and he calms the wind and the waves. The other one as he sends the disciples off in a boat and then there's a great storm. Goes on for hours and hours and hours. And then Jesus is walking out on the water and invites Peter to walk out on the water. Both of those storms, the disciples were obeying Jesus and they end up in a storm. And uh, God will, will will use storms in our life. He'll use storms to correct us, to get us back on course. He'll use storms to demonstrate his power He'll use storms to teach us to depend on him and to turn back to him. And that's exactly what happened as the prodigal son came to his senses. And he said, well, my goodness, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am out here starving to death. Came to his senses. He realized, you know what? Uh, There's somewhere I could go. There's something I could do about this. And when I do this, God is for it and is working for me, protecting me. When I go my own way, this is where I end up. And He remembers man, it's at home, the servants have more than enough to spare. In church, God wants us as believers uh, to be blessed, not for ourselves, but so that when people are tired and thirsty and hopeless, they know where they could get love and hope and blessing and so that we can give to those who are starving to death. So they know where there is hope. And many people are in a storm and they desperately need peace. Do you need peace in this storm? What can God do for you? I wanna start kind of turning this ship and I wanna draw your attention to this verse where we get a name. Each week we've looked at a name of God and we get a very powerful name. Fitting, it's in Isaiah 9:6 with this season we're about to head into, says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, say these three words with me, Prince of Peace. Now you're gonna love this name, Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, it's very powerful two words coming together. It's the word Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. And uh, Sar is where Prince is coming out of. Shalom is the word peace. Prince of peace is coming. God is saying, I'm the God of peace. Now when he uses the word Prince, um, we have just, I think because of Disney, like we think of Prince, we think of a feathery hat and a guy in tights who's really good at fencing and uh, can sing and tap dance and everything. But uh, this would have been, I mean, translated as Lord, as chief, as general. That that it's picture someone who's ruling with armor, and this is not an old king. This is someone with vitality, a prince. And did you know that the word Lord is used seven thousand eight hundred times in your Bible? By the word, by the way, the word Savior is used thirty six times in your Bible. Like you don't only need a Savior; you need to come under the Lordship where where Christ is. Lord. You you need to come under and say, God, uh, I'll do it your way. To move from Savior to Lord. So the Savior mindset is where we begin. It's God, what can you do for me? But then as you mature, you come under the Lordship of Christ to say, God, you are Lord. What can I do for you? And God, how can I serve you? You are Sar Shalom. You are the general. You're in charge. And when you come under The lordship of Jesus, he becomes shalom. That's where you find shalom, which is peace or rest, tranquility, wholeness, fulfillment, becoming whole. And when you follow the Lord's way, you get peace. Step outside of God's protection. There's no peace there. But step under his umbrella, his covering, his lordship, and that's where peace is. Sar shalom, lord and peace. I, I, we could go through the rest of the sermon just reading verses where these connect. I loved seeing this this week. I'll, I'll give you four of them. In Psalm 29, 11, it says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Tsar, the Lord, blesses his people with peace. Lord and peace connected. In another psalm, the Lord gives, or In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. In the book of Acts, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do it your way, there's no peace. There may be instant gratification, satisfaction. It may make more sense to you, but there's not peace coming with it. If you do it the Lord's way, there's peace. Because the prince of peace has principles that bring out peace. And what I'm suggesting today is that we follow the principles of peace in finances, in marriage, in emotions, in our morality, to follow God's way. To step under the cover, in the midst of this storm, to step under the covering of Jesus' lordship and say, God, your way, you are sorry, you're chief of my life and discover the peace that comes in the midst of the storm. God promises to provide for you and to bring your peace in your finances uh, if you follow these principles. So I wanna turn us to kind of a final passage for today where we discover some financial principles of peace. It's amazing, these five principles I could have showed you today uh, in Philippians, could have showed them to you in out of the Proverbs, showed them to you out of Malachi, Uh, They're in the Gospels. These five principles show up again and again and again. Today we're going to look at them from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the first principle we find is the principle, you know it, contentment. God is interested in developing my character and developing my contentment. What is contentment? Well, contentment is not not having financial goals. You do well to have financial goals. Contentment is not Uh, not being wealthy. Uh, There are many poor people who are discontent. There are many rich people who are discontent. Contentment doesn't have a a number attached to it. Contentment is not, it is something that you have to learn because naturally uh, we are discontented as human beings. And so it doesn't come naturally to us. God wants us to learn it. Uh, Contentment is not, uh, not having ambition. Contentment simply means this. These four words, you might write them down. My peace doesn't depend on blank. Fill in the blank. My peace doesn't depend on, and then you ask yourself, if, what, what does my peace depend on? Does it depend on my vehicle, on my house, on my business? Does my peace depend on my margin and my time? Like all oh, things are so busy, I'm not at peace. Ah, I can kind of control my schedule, I'm more at peace. Does your peace depend on who is in office or how an election goes? Does your peace depend on who your boss is? And it's good, it's good soul work to do to ask, if I'm not at peace, why am I not at peace? And then to go to the end of that trail and there you'll find what the Bible calls an idol. Because you're saying, well, if that were the way I want it to be, then I would be at peace and you're discovering, well, that's Lord, because Lord and peace are connected. And so you go there and you you find, well, what am I saying that I can't be at peace if this isn't the right way? And you tear down that idol and you come under the Lordship of Christ. In 1 Timothy 6, verse three, it says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching, well, they, that person, does many things, but one of them is they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But have you ever said this, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. We'll be at peace with that. One of the greatest secrets of peace of mind is to realize this truth. That you brought nothing into the world, you take nothing out of it. You don't really own anything. I don't really own anything. Eventually, I'm gonna lose it all. It's, it will happen. It, it's inevitable that I will lose it all. So what if I lose it now? Like God could take it away a million different ways. And am I at peace with that? Am I content with what I have? God can turn off one faucet, turn on another just as easily. And so we learn to be content. Why? Because things do not last. So there are are different ways to see money. You can love money. And of course, we don't want to do that. No one in here wants to love money. The opposite, though, is you get hate money. Well, that's not really beneficial either. Uh, You can feel guilty about money. Lots of feelings you can have about money. Or you can use money. You can use money to trust God. You can use money to help people. You can use money to grow in God's ways in your life. But if you don't learn contentment, you never learn that skill. You're never going to be happy. I believe that some of us this very Christmas need to take uh, an outline and some advice from Rockbrook's good friend, Buddy the Elf, where he says, I thought this Christmas maybe we could make gingerbread houses and eat cookie dough and go ice skating and maybe even hold hands. Like that's your four point outline for this Christmas, right, like this is our strategy and we're gonna be content, these are the things we'll do. Remember the parenting series we did a few years ago and I asked some of your kids, what's your favorite thing to do with your family? And by far, the two answers I got were cook and play board games. That's what they loved. And so it's time, maybe we do those things, maybe even hold hands. Secondly, uh, here's the second principle, is dependence. To depend on God. God wants you to learn to depend on him about financial things. Depend on him for cars, for clothes, for shoes, for homes. All kinds of material things. God wants you to ask. One of the reasons we see so few miracles in our lives is we just don't ask for them. Instead of living a life based on Christ, we live a life based on credit. And we trust credit instead of trusting Christ. If you want to see God work in your life, pray for it before you pay for it. So here's the question. Do you pray about major purchases before you make them? Now, God's not gonna just give you everything you ask for, but there are some things he actually just does wanna give you. And he wants to do a miracle in your life. And he wants to make a way for things. Like God, I found that God is even better listening uh, to me than my smartphone Come on, have you ever had that experience where you were talking about something and then it shows up as on an ad uh, on your phone somewhere and that's super creepy and they're like, well, here's a sale on this. Well, you know what? God listens too. And many of us have never had a financial answer to prayer because we've never prayed specifically and waited for God to provide. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs, and they've wandered from their faith. They've put their trust in money. But why does God tell us over 20 times in the New Testament to ask him for things in our life? Why does God want us to learn to ask him in prayer? It's so that he can give you some of them, so that you can be full of joy, so that you'll know him as a provider, so that you'll know God as a loving father. And the first condition of having your needs met is you must be willing to ask. God knows what you need in advance, but he's not going to give it until you ask it. Like, he doesn't even save you until you ask, until you repent. Like, God is interested in a relationship where you go to him and ask him for things and yield and surrender to his will, and he provides for you. I, I, my wife has taught me so much about this of just praying for things and relying on God and, and waiting on God. And I could tell you story after story of her just praying for something. One of them was this year. It's just fun stuff sometimes where we wanted to get a play set in our backyard for the kids. And I'd picked one out and was ready to go buy it and ready to get it. And she said, let's wait and pray on it for a few days. And so uh, she prays for a play set. And then Saturday night at church, Joel Reimer comes up to me and says, hey, uh, I no longer need this play set in my backyard. Would you guys like it? I'll bring it over. And I thought, nuts. I didn't pray about it. Lauren did. And so now she gets all the fun with this of God answering the prayer. I didn't bother to pray about it. I should have. And you'll find God will just provide and do, and do fun stuff. I put it on your notes, just a couple of sources, uh, just to help with dependence on God and resources. Uh, if you say, I need more on this. Uh, last year, we did a relationship series where I talked on uncomplicating money and went real practical with just what's God's financial plan. And then this year, uh, this is the most spiritual sermon I've done on money. I would say we say all the time that money is spiritual and here's where I show why that is And then if you ask because so many people they'd say well No one ever even taught me how to do a budget or how me and my spouse can get on the same page and here at this website uh, You can find really practical resources on that Dependence is one of the keys one of the principles. I'll move through these last three very quickly number three if you're taking notes is integrity God does not bless dishonesty and when you're going through a financial storm, the temptation is enormous to throw out your integrity uh, to make ends meet. But you always lose in the long run when you lose your integrity. First Timothy six eleven says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Uh, you'd rather be struggling to make ends meet than do it the wrong way and to do it without a clear conscience. Let me quickly give you two more. Fourth is generosity. God is a giver, and he wants us to become like him. Everything that you have in your life is a gift from God. You would not have it otherwise. And some people will say, well, when I have all my needs met, that's when I'll be generous, and that's when I'll give, and that's when I'll tithe, and that's when I'll give to God. And God says, no, you've got it backwards. God says you miss the point, because when when you do it, then it's not in faith. He Says you give in faith, and He says then I'll make a way. Then I'll make a way for you. And God says give it, and then then we're under His lordship, and then there's peace. In verse 18, He says, Paul says, command those who are rich in this world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. And willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. So you don't actually lose what's given. Like we lose everything else, but you don't lose what's given. It's laid up in a storehouse for you, for the coming age, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. I love all the good news in that verse. Whatever you want God to bless, you put Him, you put him first in that area. But if I want peace, I've got to open my hand and lastly do this number five, and that is trust. It's the fifth principle. God says you can come to me and ask, be content, have integrity. All of those things show your trust in me. Verse 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let me ask you this question about trust. If God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross, to go through temptation and the suffering, all the things that he went through, if he loves you enough to rise from the dead and loves you enough to promise uh, that that can happen to you if you put your faith in Christ, Don't you think that he loves you enough to care for you, to do what he says he'll do? I mean, just tell me the logic behind this. I trust God for my eternal salvation, but I don't trust him with my money. I trust God to save me from hell and give me an eternal home in heaven and make a way for that, but I won't trust him with my financial decisions. I don't trust him enough to be Lord over my money. Friend, when God saved you, he solved your biggest problem. And if you can trust God to get you to heaven, you can trust him to provide for you and give you peace in the midst of a financial storm. Let's look at what the prodigal son did as we close, and then we'll pray. But he comes to his senses and he says, well, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his father didn't treat him like one of the servants. He was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we step into this time of worship, I just pray that our trust in you would grow. And we certainly do need your help. And Father, in the areas of life where we are lost, uh, we thank you that you come searching for us and you come to find us. And God, we need your reckless love to chase us down and uh, to shine a light in our darkness and to find us and rescue us. And Lord, in the areas where we have rebelled and we've gone our own way, We need the power and the strength to come to our senses and come back to you and find that if we repent, that you are loving and gracious and you bring us back in. Lord, help us to learn these principles, to learn to be content. We don't want to depend on anything else for our temporary peace. Uh, Father, help us to lean on you, to trust in you, to be generous. Lord, I I know certainly here no one wants to live a self-centered life. And so help us to live a God-centered life and to practice living in faith. Lord, we need your forgiveness, your help. God, we need your peace in our life, so we come to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and the church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.